This podcast is brought to you by the African Narrative on Climate Change. Hello and welcome back to the African Narrative on Climate Change podcast and it's good to be back. So last season, we discussed some of the foundations of climate change, focusing on understanding the concepts, the major challenges facing our continent, and the critical issue alongside policy implementation that we discussed was the transition to renewable energy, form of green building, we discussed regenerative agriculture, we discussed storytelling, and we discussed financing climate actions. So if this is your first time listening to the African Narrative on Climate Change podcast, welcome. My name is Aaron John. I am the host of the Tank Podcast and the founder of the African Narrative on Climate Change, a non-profit organization that is tackling climate change challenges and sustainable development in Africa. So be sure to check out our previous episodes and stay tuned. In this season of the Tank Podcast, which spans 27 episodes, we've divided the episodes into three parts, focusing on different themes relating to Africa's role in climate change. Uh, In part one, titled Africa's Climate Action Stance, we will explore contemporary challenges, advancement and policy discussions, starting with an analysis of COP28. So today, we are diving into the outcomes and implications of COP28, particularly its final text on fossil fuels. I tend to keep this episode short, except for when we have a guest, and then I just go with the flow uh, of the conversation. So uh, let's dive right in. COP28 marked a significant milestone as uh, nearly every country agreed to transition away from fossil fuels, a historic agreement in the 28 years of climate negotiations that we've had. So this right here is one of the challenges of international negotiations, right? Just the sheer amount of time it takes to come to a consensus given each party's uh, varied interests. So the final text is to transition away from fossil fuel in a just, orderly, and equitable manner, aiming for net zero by 20. Uh, so, but however, this statement contains um, quite a bit of ambiguity, right? And provides some loopholes for the continued use of fossil fuel. Um, the final text of COP28, so these are like what is written down after all of the negotiations and the discussions and the final text uh, just summarizes the outcome of the meeting. So regarding transition away from fossil fuel, this has elicited just a range of uh, reactions from climate activists um, and experts in the field, uh, reflecting just a mix of cautious optimism, criticism and call for more concrete action, right? So for example, the inclusion of fossil fuel in the COP deal for the first time is quite a, a remarkable achievement. Historic, um, I think a bit of compromise, but historic nonetheless. The agreement mentions transition away from fossil fuels and working towards a face down of unabated coal, which is signaling a clear intention to reduce fossil fuel use. However, some experts have interpreted this to view it mean that it's a compromise, noting that the document does not include a more definitive term like phase-out. This is perceived as a concession to hydrocarbon producers as it focuses more on the consumer side of the equation, 
rather than a fully-fledged commitment to face down or face out for sea fuel. Another aspect of this has been some criticism and call for stronger action. So some experts have criticized the COP28 agreement for not going far enough, especially in terms of explicitly phasing out fossil fuels. The failure to incorporate a clear phasing out of fossil fuel is seen as ignoring scientific evidence and potentially having catastrophic implications for climate-vulnerable communities and species. So these are concerns about whether the agreement adequately prioritizes the protection of vulnerable people and ecosystem. And one last point from this is the is the agreement is recognized as a balancing act between different national interests, which of course documents like this try to do, right? So with a focus on an orderly transition away from fossil fuels, our business leaders and global climate figures have welcomed the agreement for signaling a move towards renewables, but indigenous people, frontline communities, uh, climate justice groups and activists have criticized it as insufficient and unfair. So looking ahead, there is an anticipation for COP29 to further clarify and advance these discussions and commitments. Uh, but having thought about this for a hot second, I believe that the phasing out of fossil fuel, and this might get me in some trouble, right, might not be the immediate and best route for Africa especially since our industrialization still depends on the energy from fossil fuel. Right? In one of the previous episodes, I mentioned how the Dangote refinery, for example, does not signal our readiness to phase out fossil fuel. And I still stand by this. The transition away from fossil fuel in Africa, particularly in the context of new projects like the Dangote refinery, presents a complex picture about balancing development needs with environmental concerns. And hear me out, for this number of reasons, I think so. Uh, one, the Dangote refinery is seen as a significant step towards energy sufficiency for Nigeria and potentially for Africa, right? It's expected to stimulate economic growth, create job opportunities, and reduce the continent's reliance on imported petroleum products. This could lead to substantial savings for Africa, uh, which now imports a significant portion of its petroleum needs. The refinery's capacity could also significantly reduce our dependence on costly petroleum imports, fostering a more stable and self-reliant energy system for Africa. Also, I think uh, despite the economic benefits, I know there are some certain concerns that uh, environmental impact and i share those concerns as well um, africa contributes only four percent of global co2 emissions but is uh, disproportionately affected by climate change so there's a bit of skepticism about whether investments in fossil fuel projects like the dangote refinery aligns with the global push for decarbonization and whether they genuinely contribute to sustainable development. But the argument against continued investment in fossil fuel infrastructure is that it could lock Africa in a high carbon pathway, excavating climate vulnerabilities. But if we are not already in this route, why do we have a very poor pricing carbon market? This question I will explore in subsequent episodes. So just keep this to mind, right? Um, and also, the third point that I have for this is um, there's a nuanced debate around whether Africa should be allowed to exploit its fossil fuel resources for development, as similar to how developed nations did in the past. Um, Nigeria, for instance, is bound by international climate agreements, like the Paris Agreement, and has pledged to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. But whilst we are pledging to this agreement, we are also commissioning the Dangote refinery. So you see my point. Um, however, a lot of people have argued that Africa faces a difficult choice, and I agree with this, right, between overcoming energy poverty and um, adhering to global 
climate concerns. So we are at several crossroads, and this is one of them. I've also heard that Dangote Refinery has adopted a lot of advanced technology which could potentially mitigate its environmental uh, impact. Uh, the refinery's modern facilities could set new standards in efficiency and um, emission reduction within the fossil fuel sector. So this might also be a good thing. So you can see that it's not all good, it's not all bad, right? So while the Dangote Refinery and similar projects of this nature offer significant economic benefits and energy security for Africa, they also raise critical questions about environmental sustainability and the continent's role in the global transition to cleaner energy sources. So the challenge here is in balancing the immediate development need with long-term climate goals. The challenge is presenting Africa's unique narratives to the global stage and developing African-focused strategies to climate change rather than just going with the flow in these conferences as we've often done in the past. So let's take a look at the renewable energy efficiency goals that we mentioned at the recently concluded COP. 28. The agreement's ambition to triple global renewable energy capacity and double energy efficiency by 2030 is potentially transformative, right? So the target is to accelerate the electrification of the global economy, but it also faces the challenge of securing critical minerals that is required to meet these goals. A lot of experts have underscored that the scale of investment that is required to achieve a green transition, especially in emerging markets, and the significant funding gap that remains is a critical challenge. So while a landmark in climate negotiations, this is both opportunity and challenge for Africa. And I'm a bit skeptical, and I think that this is more challenge than opportunity for Africa, given the trajectory that we've used in uh, negotiation on the global stage so far. We all know, right, that Africa has a vast renewable energy potential. This is not news, uh, right? But again, it's one of these things where we are at a crossroads. Our vast mineral wealth is indispensable for the global transition. Uh, to an electrified economy. But except we plan to remain a mining block, realizing this potential involves navigating complex social, economic, environmental, and geopolitical landscapes. The continent's role in providing these critical minerals put it in the forefront of the global green revolution, marking its development and governance in this sector critical for the future. But how do we secure the investment and infrastructure to develop these resources and move from just being a source of these minerals to also refiners and producers of their derivatives? How do we navigate political instability in some of the countries where these minerals are deposited. And I think how we harness this potential in the face of global energy transition will be critical in securing Africa's role as world power in the next few decades. You can mark me on this one. Just to, to wrap up some of, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm trying to keep this a very short episode. So I'll just breeze through some of the other discussions at the COP28 that are just a bit away from fossil fuel, right? So the COP28 also touched on some notable issues, which included the establishment of the loss and damage fund, quite a critical fund. Um, for Africa and other continents that are often the front line of climate impact, um, I think this commitment fell short of the staggering costs of climate disaster vis-a-vis -vis the amount of money pledged at the loss and damage fund and it raises the question about the adequacy of global financial solidarity um, and the need for africa to advocate for fairer compensations and my take is um 
Africa move completely away from all of these global treaties and then focus on its own ability to generate the funds needed for climate actions. Well, this is also a very uh, radical opinion and point of view, and it might be lacking critical thought, but this is my opinion. Uh, COP28 also saw the formulation of a global goal on adaptation. Uh, so again, while this is a framework and a step forward, it does not have any quantified target and specific financial support for developing countries like those in Africa and underscores the need for African nations to actively shape global adaptation strategies and ensure that uh, it meets our own unique needs and circumstances. One part that I'm actually particularly interested in, and I was interested in the last COP28, uh, was the focus on green technologies and sustainable infrastructure. And I see this as a unique become of hope for Africa, right? Because it calls for African countries to innovate and invest in green technologies, but we must be able to navigate this path while addressing our development needs and striking a balance between growth and sustainability. So for me, the COP28 presented more questions than it did answers, right? And I think the takeaway for me is that there's a need for a balancing of our economic and environmental priorities. There is also a need to ensure transparency and for Africa to recognize the unique position that it's at because we must be able to command bigger voices on the global stage in the global dialogues because as we move forward the lessons from cop 28 while it might inform our climate policies and actions i think there's a need for us to be more invested in tailored strategies and approach that is formulated by africans for africa you know in crisis of this nature right well i'll be back shortly for us to wrap up this episode So that was a bit of a rant and thanks for staying with me so far. And I'm so glad to bring back the segment of the, the term of the day segment, uh, which is going to be a very short one. So our term of the day today is energy transition. So this is the global energy sector's shift. So this term means um, when we talk about energy transition, it's talking about the global energy sector's shift from fossil-based systems of energy production and consumption. So this includes oil, natural gas, and coal to renewable energy sources like wind, solar, and hydro. So when we talk about energy transition, we mean transition from fossil fuel to renewable energy sources. So in conclusion, right, and I guess now the focus is how African leaders wish to present our case in subsequent COPs or begin to realize that the continent doesn't need the invitation of the UNFCC to take a stance and action on its unique position in the climate discourse. So while I see you next week, please share this episode with fellow climate enthusiasts to help us grow this podcast and follow us on social media or search for Tank Africa. So that is T-A-N-C-C Africa and um, we can connect there. My name is Aaron and I'll see you next week.